again for being here with us today. If you want to go ahead and grab your notes, we're going to get into week three of our breakthrough series. Week three of our breakthrough series. And if you remember, the first week we talked about breakthrough prayer. Last week we talked about breakthrough habits. And we talked about the fact that successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And today we're going to talk about something that I believe brings breakthrough. And it's scriptural. We're going to talk about generosity. Isn't it something? Isn't it something that some things in life that cause the biggest joy also cause the biggest headaches? Can I get an amen? Like some things that we're just so excited about. I can still remember like like it was yesterday, the first day I got my first paycheck. Now, I was working at a local grocery store, bagging groceries, and uh, back then, uh, you know, the the bagger's job was a little bit more expanded than maybe it is these days. It was an old school grocery store, so I would would bag groceries, and then when I didn't have to bag groceries, I'd go over and I'd fill the ice bags, and then when I wasn't doing that, I would sort the cans that would get brought in. Now, that's a job that nobody wants. They should have put that on dirty jobs. You know, and so kids, just so you know, back in the day, we would take cans to the grocery store and they would give us money for them. It was awesome. But that was my first job. I made $5.15 an hour and um, it was great. And I remember getting that first paycheck. I'm like, I am a rich man. But something that then caused so much joy later on in life, as I began to do something that the kids these days call adulting, um, it, it's like, oh my goodness. This very thing that caused so much joy can also bring so much headaches. Now, it's obvious why, because statistics say, studies say that the dominant source of stress for 44% of Americans, and so almost almost half of the people in this room, the number one stress in your life is finances. Credit card debt has hit a record high of more than $1 trillion. Can you imagine $1 trillion? Consumer dollars in the United States right now are on a credit card. Student loan debt has jumped over 150% in just the past decade. Our poor kids, right? (laughs) And not only are we drowning in debt, but no surprise, we're not saving either. About one in four Americans don't even have a single dollar saved for emergencies. And so all those statistics make it very clear that finances are an issue. And you juxtapose that with the fact that we live in the most prosperous nation maybe in history. And so we have a lot, but that doesn't mean we always manage it well. On the flip side, and we're going to bring it home here in church world today. Every time a preacher talks about money, some people get a little squirmy. From the moment that I said generosity this morning, there was probably some of you that, that, that did the whole inner eye roll. You know, the one that maybe people don't see on the outside, but it happened in your heart. 
It's like, oh, here we go again. We're talking about money at church. I was talking to a friend today and, and um, that, or the other day, and they were saying that, you know, some of their friends that don't go to church, the reason they don't go to church is because when they come to church, it feels like all they ever do is talk about money. And if you've ever been in a church like that, say amen. But hopefully if this is your first Sunday today, you'll come back next week. And maybe you talk to some people around here because we don't talk about money all the time. It's never an, an issue of pressure or manipulation or anything like that. And so you're in a safe place, right? But usually when a preacher talks about money, people think, oh, there's an ulterior motive here. And the inner eye roll starts and it's like, here we go again. And just because of the topic today, some of you maybe have already checked out and that's okay. Because I still want you to be here and I still love you. And this is still a safe place for you. And I just want to encourage you to try today to see through the lens of scripture and maybe not your past experience with church, if it maybe wasn't so good. And trust me, the tension is not just on your side. For me as a pastor, there's a little tension too. Why? Because it's uncomfortable to talk about something that you know people are uncomfortable talking about. Can I get an amen? Maybe why we have such a problem with confrontation in relationships, even loving confrontation, because we just don't want to say something that you know might make somebody upset. But our lives revolve around money. And Jesus talked about it a lot. And the word give was used over 2,100 times in the scriptures. And if Jesus talked about it, we should talk about it. We should be able to talk about it just like we talk about anything else in life. So I want you to take a deep breath with me this morning and know that this really isn't about your money. It's about your heart. Jesus really loves you. He wants what's best for you. He's not after your pocketbook. He has all the money in the world. He's got a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need your money or mine, but he wants your heart. So Luke chapter 12, if you want to turn there today, not all of it's in your notes. All of it will be on the screens. If you open your Mosaic church app and hit notes, uh, the notes will be there as well. But in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, this is what happened. Then someone called from the crowd. So just imagine Jesus is teaching, he's hanging out. Somebody yells out from the crowd and they say, teacher, Please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now that hits close to home. As a pastor, I've attempted to counsel family members through family disputes of inheritance. And let me tell you, I don't know of anything more ugly on the face of the planet than siblings fighting over whatever their parents left behind. It can get ugly. And so can you even imagine this, this dude or lady, it doesn't really say which, but someone calls from the crowd and wants to bring Jesus smack dab into the middle of their family drama in public. And so obviously they respected Jesus as, as, as somebody with authority because they're like, Jesus, you tell him, right? Sometimes people that come to me as a pastor and I'm not Jesus, but they're like, pastor, you tell him, right? And so they come, now Jesus, tell him, tell my brother to share my father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Which I love, basically Jesus is like, don't put me in the middle. Then he said, beware. And so this guy came for Jesus to just help him in his little personal, personal problem. 
And then Jesus smacks him upside the head with a little truth. He says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Underline that. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story, as Jesus often did. And he said, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have any room. I don't have room for all my crops. What an amazing problem to have. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Now, this, this is like the first original man cave, right? He wanted a place for all his toys and all his stuff, and it was just gonna be awesome. And he's probably like doing the ooh, like Tim Taylor in the background. He's like, oh, this place is gonna be legit. He's gonna have his flat screen on the wall with Xbox 3, or not 360, what is it now? One X something, who knows? Um, he's gonna have the, the, the gaming system. He's got the pool table, the ping pong table, the foosball table, and uh, the new Oculus uh, virtual reality thing. It's gonna be epic. So I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. How many of you know anytime God says, you fool, it's time to listen? You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Now, of course, he's telling this story because the man had just asked, hey, tell my brother to give me my share. And Jesus is like, seriously, seriously, back that thing up, take a break. Yes, Jesus said, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Wow. So what do we see in this passage? One, we might see the first recorded hoarder in Scripture. Second thing we see is a story that, that too, it's too real because it too much just kind of exemplifies the American dream, doesn't it? I got more than I have need, and so I'm going to store it. I'm going to buy more. I'm going to build more, 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 more. God comes in blows it all up and says, you fool. At least some of the Jews that were listening to this story in the crowd had to have known what it said in the book of Proverbs about barns. Jesus uses the example of a barn being built, bigger barns. Well, what did the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, say in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10? He said, honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the best part of everything you produce, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. And so from these two examples, we see that it's not a bad thing to have things. In fact, God gives us every good thing. The Bible says that every good gift is given to us by our Father in heaven. But there's an if then. We've got to first honor the Lord with our wealth and with the best part of what we own. Then God will meet every need. And so our talk today is not just about your money. It's about honoring God. It's about a relationship with God. What did it say? Yes, a, a person is a fool to store up your earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. It said life is not measured by how much you own. 
And so it's a relationship with God. And since the things that can sound, and, and since these things, just having a relationship with God or putting God first, you know, those can sound kind of generic, right? They can kind of sound kind of general. And so since those can kind of sound general and generic sometimes, we're going to talk about how to do that very specifically in the realm of our finances today. Some of you might not have even known that your finances are a part of your relationship with Jesus. They are. And so what, why, sorry, why does giving cause a breakthrough? Why would we make giving and generosity a part of this breakthrough series? Number one, fill it in in your notes if you'd like. The currency of heaven is not the currency of earth. This is the number one reason. Now, I've traveled around the world. I've been to the Philippines, and I've been to India, and I've been to Taipei, and I've been to Russia, and I've been to Bulgaria. I've been to Spain. I've been to Belgium. I've been to Scotland and England. I've been to Mexico, a lot of different places, and every single place I went used different money. You know what the cool thing is about being an American, though? In most places, even though the, the local currency was different, if I handed a dollar bill to someone, guess what? They'd take it. They'd take it. But as Americans, a lot of times we forget that this currency that we hold that is in some ways universal, now, there is a time and a place in certain places where they didn't want my dollars. They just wanted their local currency. But for the most part, it's like, hey, it transferred pretty easily. But sometimes we carry that into our relationship with God and we think that, hey, this is so important. And we forget that we were made eternally. This is not our home. The Bible says we are like aliens and foreigners here on this earth. And we've got to remember that the currency of heaven is not the currency of earth. Luke 12, 15, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. It's not measured by that. How are you measuring your life? What's the closest friend of greed? Because Jesus said, guard against every kind of greed. What's the closest friend of greed? It's worry. That you're worried about everyone else. You're worried about what everyone else has and you're worried about what you don't have. And so then when you finally start to get some, you begin to hoard it and keep it, and it's all about what I can accumulate, right? Greed means you're measuring your life against the wrong things. And so how are you measuring your life? Gotta remember, your dollars don't mean anything over there. There's no checking accounts in heaven. And, but the more you set your mind on eternity, the more you have a long view, the more you think with eternity in mind, the more your finances fall in line, line with God's plan for your life. And the less you care about the things of earth, the more excited you get to invest in kingdom causes. This isn't just a, I'm gonna check it off the list type of thing. This is a complete transformation of thought a complete rewiring of our natural tendencies. But it starts with this general premise that the currency of the heaven is not the currency of earth. My dollars won't work there. Luke 12, 21 says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And so the greatest investment that I can ever make on earth is in my relationship to Jesus. 
Number one, got to get that right. And it's out of that that everything else flows. Number two, what do we see from this scripture? We see that financial breakthrough comes from seeking God. It comes from seeking God. Luke 12, 31 through 34, Jesus continues. And he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything you need. Do you see a trend? We see it saw back in Proverbs. It's like honor the Lord with your wealth and the first part of everything that you produce. And then he'll fill your barns to overflowing. Here it says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything that you need. Then he goes on to say, he says, so don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. I love that. It's like God wants to give us good things. He wants to bless us with everything that we need. But that little flock thing kind of haunts me. He says, so don't be afraid, little flock. Why does he say little flock? Because so few people seek God above all else. Because so few people really put God first in every area of their life, including their finances. Listen, if seeking God isn't your ultimate goal, then you should probably just go hit up a local financial advisor with what to do with your money. Now, that's not a bad thing. I use a financial advisor. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a thing of wisdom, I believe, to be a good steward. But that's not the goal. The goal is seeking Jesus and being a conduit for him. And if seeking God is my goal, then my relationship with him will determine everything that I do with my money. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says this. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always be ready to share with others. Always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. I don't know about you, but I wanna experience true life. I also know that because I'm an American, even though my family lives on one income, we are rich. Even though I'm in ministry and newsflash, pastors, uh, most pastors don't make a lot of money. That's okay. We've never not had everything that we needed. Never. Even when I was bivocational in ministry and working an hourly job with a small stipend from the church and just barely getting by and sometimes going in debt, had everything that we needed. Everything. And so... I know that I'm one of those rich people in the world because I've been around the world. I can't be proud, I can't trust on my money, it's unreliable, so I gotta trust God. He wants to provide for me. And so what am I gonna use my money for? I'm gonna use it to do good. I'm gonna invest in kingdom causes. I'm gonna be ready to share with others. How many of you know it's, how many of you know it's really hard to be ready to share with others if you're always in debt? So I'm gonna get out of debt. I'm gonna be ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure with a good foundation for the future so that they can experience true life. And so it's not bad to own things, but it is bad when your things own you. And when I seek God with all of my heart, I'll be led to use my money for kingdom purposes, 
I'll ask myself questions like this. Is my life rich in good works? Am I ready to share? Am I experiencing true life or am I just building bigger barns for all my junk? Number three, putting my treasure in God's hands brings me close to him. And this is the key. Remember, it's all about a relationship with God. Life's not measured by how much you own. We don't want to get to the end of our life and, and not have a good relationship with God. Then we're just totally wasting it all. Well, putting my treasure in God's hands brings me close to him. And this is, this is the goal. It's intimacy with God. All day, every day. Intimacy with God. Luke 12, 33 through 34 says this. It says, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. All you ladies are like, oh, that sounds pretty good. The purses of heaven. Give me some of that. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Love that. Wherever the treasure, your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. If I want intimacy with Jesus, if I want to know God, if I want to live life abundantly, if I want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, then my finances are a part of that intimacy because the Bible says, where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. So if you want to get close to Jesus, be a giver. If you want to see miracles in your life, be a giver. If you want to make an eternal difference in your life, be a giver. You can't say you want to be close to God and ignore your finances. I know this is a heavy word today, but I wouldn't share it with you if I didn't want you to experience truth. Giving aligns my heart with God's. Giving aligns my heart with God's. So if putting my treasure in God's hands brings me close to him, Let's look at some other verses that exemplify that. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, if we gave you know, out of manipulation or feeling like, oh, I just have to, if, if like, okay, God, here it is, right? I know that sometimes um, over the years when I've taken my family out to a really nice meal, um, like a nice one, well, I guess I haven't taken the kids to a really nice one. But when I take my wife out to a really nice, you know, one of those places where the steak is like $50 and some of you are like, how could you ever spend $50 on a steak? I love steak, right? And so, when I, you know, that bill comes back and it's a hundred bucks or 120 bucks. Man, it hurts a little bit more to write that tip, doesn't it? And it's like, ouch. And it's like, okay, I know I have to do this, especially because I'm a pastor. I kind of have to do the full 20%. Because what if they know me from somewhere and I don't know them and, and that, would, that would be, so okay, I'm gonna reluctantly and out of pressure, social pressure, I'm gonna write this big tip on this big night fancy meal. It's like the meal hurt enough. It's like, okay, I'll write it out. But God says, hey, if that's how you're gonna give, don't give, because I don't need your money. And it's the same in a relationship. How many of you husbands, if you're like, okay, wife, let's go on a date if I have to. How many of you know that your wife is going to look at you and be like, eh, I'll pass. Why? Because that breaks the intimacy. And it's the same in our relationship with God. 
that if you want an intimate relationship with God, then be a giver, not reluctantly, but cheerfully. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one, devoted. That's a relationship word. That's an intimacy word. That's a, man, I feel like I want to word. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. Serving is a word of intimacy, once again. It's I'm putting myself second and I'm putting you first. So you can't serve both God and money. And so the key words in this verse are serve, master. He's not here to serve my needs, although he does by his grace that's abundant. Isn't that amazing? But I'm really here to serve his. And so I can't serve God and money at the same time. And then lastly, the last place that we see that how putting my treasure in God's hands brings me close to him. It puts me in greater intimacy with God. It is in Malachi 3, 7 through 10. This is the epic passage on tithing. But most of the time we don't think of it in a relational way. But here's what it says. Now return to me and I will return to you. Closeness. So sometimes, you know, you feel like your relationship with God is kind of broken. It's like you feel like God's way over there and you're way over here or God's way up in heaven and my prayers aren't even getting through the ceiling. And we feel like there's this break. There's not this intimacy in our relationship with God. And so this passage starts off. Now return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? God, I'm still going to church. God, I'm doing what you've asked me to do. I'm serving. I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of babies. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm helping my neighbor. I, I shoveled their yard last winter. That one time I even mowed their grass. God, I'm a good person. When have I ever gone away? And then God says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean, God? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. So then he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be food enough in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Put me to the test. One of the most convicting passages of scripture, and not only that, one of the most eye-opening because this is the only place in scripture where God says to test him. The only guaranteed place in scripture where you, it's like, hey, you wanna know God's real? You wanna know if God does, still does miracles? You wanna know if God still shows up in your life? Tithe. Back to that verse, remember when Jesus called them little flock? You know why he called them little flock? because it's such human nature that, man, it's so hard to do this. This is one of the hardest parts of our, of our life. And how do we know this? Because surveys say that only 5% of churchgoers in the United States tithe, 5%. Now I'm not saying that's the percentage for our church, but nationwide, 
only 5% are putting God first in this very basic command of scripture to tithe. And that makes Jesus' little flock statement kind of come alive. There's a disconnect. We want all the good stuff from God, but we're not willing to put him first in this key area of our life. On the flip side, get this statistic. 77% of tithers, people that set aside the first, that honor the God with the best part of their income and, and their first fruits. 77% of, of tithers give more than 10%. That's mind blowing to me. That most people that put God first in their finances actually give God more. What does that tell us? That when, that if God, if someone is a giver, that God always makes sure they have something to give. Always. In 2 Corinthians 3, 8, Paul said that, you know, these people gave more than they were able. Even more than they were able. They gave sacrificially. What else does it tell us? That God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100. All day, every day. Listen, church, when everyone tithes, there's more than enough. There's more than enough to do all the ministry that God wants us to do. There's more than enough to fulfill the vision that he's given our church. There's more than enough for us to make a difference and a dent in our community. Is it all about money? No, God can do it with or without it. But when we all tithe, we support more missionaries. We do more ministry kids. We do more ministry to our youth. We help more people in the community. It's an amazing thing. Some people don't know that the body of Christ, the church is self-supporting. Once again, I was talking to a friend the other day and they had friends that literally didn't know that churches were self-supporting. They said, don't you get like money from the government or something? No, <laughs> the, the church is literally supported by the generosity of the people who call this their church home. And so, but that's not the bottom line. The bottom line is that when I don't tithe, I miss out on intimacy with God, blessings and provision. I miss out. I love to close today, I love what Jack Hayford said. He said, God created us to be channels of blessing, but our ability to receive the resources with which he wants us to bless others depends on our, our, on our being able to give them away freely, faithfully, and generously. Love that. And so it starts with the heart. God, everything I have comes from you. Jesus, you freely gave your life for me. So everything in my life, even the things that I hold most dear, I'm gonna be ready to freely give away. Now, you might be saying, well, Joe, does that mean I'm just have to give everything that I ever have away? No, because through the passages that we read today, we see that God provides for our needs. He gives us things. But the purpose of our life is to honor him, to be in a close relationship with him. Our life is not measured by our money and he gives us things so that we can in turn be a blessing. Why? Because this world is not our home. And so it starts with the heart. And so if you could bow your heads and close your eyes today, where are you at with that? Where's your heart at? Is your heart in God's hands? Or do you need to begin a relationship with Jesus?
Now, you might feel like it's a little strange to give a salvation call at the end of a, of a message about finances, but I don't think it is at all because it all starts with the heart. You and I are here today because Jesus died on the cross for us and he rose again on the third day. He died on the cross to pay for your sins and mine because we were all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glorious ideal. And it took Jesus coming to earth, living a sinless life as a man and laying down his life on the cross for you and I to receive forgiveness of our sins and to be able to live life abundantly in him. And so if today you say, Joe, man, my first step is to put my heart in God's hands and I want everything God has for me. And so I wanna follow Jesus with my life. If that's you today, just raise your hand and say, I need Jesus today. I wanna accept Christ as my Lord and Savior and receive him into my heart. Is that you today? If you're online right there in your living room, you can raise your hand because you're saying yes to Jesus. Anyone, amen, amen. If you raise your hand, you can put it down. And right there at your seat, I just want you to say a prayer in your own words, inviting Jesus into your life. The Bible's clear, we just need to do a few things. We need to confess with our mouth that we're sinners and that we need a savior. We need to believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day. And we need to commit to follow him with our life. So God, come into our heart. We put our trust in you and believe that you died for us on the cross, you rose again on the third day. Help us to follow you with everything in our life. Help us to put you first, even in the tough areas like finances. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.